Dear congregation, let us turn in God's holy word to Song of Solomon chapter 8. Song of Solomon chapter 8, and we'll read the entire chapter. Let us hear God's holy word. Oh, that you were like my brother, who nursed at my brother's bre- mother's breast. If I should find you outside, I would kiss you. I would not be despised. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother. She who used to instruct me, I would cause you to drink of the spiced wine, of the juice of my pomegranate. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? I awakened you under the apple tree. There your mother brought you forth. There she who bore you brought you forth. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire and a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love, all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. We have a little sister, and she has no breast. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build upon her a battlement of silver, and if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. I am a wall, and my breast like towers. Then... I became in his eyes as one who found peace. Solomon had a vineyard at Bilhaman. He leased the vineyard to keepers. Every one was to bring forth its fruit, a thousand silver coins. My own vineyard is before me. You, O Solomon, may have a thousand, and those who tend its fruit, two hundred. You who dwell in the gardens, the companions listen for your voice. Let me hear it. Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word and add his blessing to the exposition of it. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we come to the end of the book of the Song of Songs that are Solomon's, I uh, recognize that this chapter is not very easy to interpret and there are many challenges about it as well as many other portions of the book of the Song of Solomon. And yet I want to begin this message with asking you a question. Despite all my weaknesses as a pastor, to set forth before you the interpretation, the meaning, and the applications from the book of Song of Solomon, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you if you have seen something, something of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for His bride. Have you seen something of His amazing love? Have you been captivated by the Savior who is altogether lovely? Have you been humbled by His grace despite how dark and how black and how uncomely we are as His bride? 
Have you been instructed in how to love even as He loved and loves us? I recognize that in all my insufficiencies, in setting, it, in setting forth the precise interpretation of every phrase, I confess that there are challenges. But I do not want you to leave this book I do not want you to leave and go home today missing the main point to the book of the Song of Songs. Because my job as a pastor is to woo you and to draw you to the Lord Jesus Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to do His irresistible work by drawing you and compelling you through the demonstration of His love. The Song of Solomon in a certain sense, has been our Lord getting on one knee and coming to us and opening His hand and saying to us, Will you marry me? Will you receive my love? And will you love me in return? Will you share in my love? That's our Lord's desire in setting forth the book of the Song of Songs before us today. To show us the beauty of His union with us. That we would be healthy in Him. And that we would have a vibrant communion with Him. And a vibrant fellowship with Him day by day. I don't know all of your hearts. I don't even know who did and did not partake of the Lord's Supper in this day. I don't know who is indifferent among us. I don't know all who are backslidden among us. I don't know all who are wandering in a wilderness, so to say, among us. A wilderness of hopelessness and despair, longing for more. More than what a pastor can give more than what an elder can give, more than what a church and all of her ministries can give. Well, I want you to see the Lord Jesus Christ bending down on one knee today and saying, here I have the strongest thing I can offer you, my love. That's what Christ wants for us. And He wants to show us that there is nothing in the whole world, so powerful, so strong, as true love. Children, what do you think is the strongest thing in the whole world? In the whole world? Is it those Olympians who are lifting huge weights? I don't even know how many kilos or pounds they would have been. Is it those toughest men who can pull cars on their own shoulders. You know, those same men and women, they will all get old and every one of them will die. Maybe you say, but iron, Pastor, iron is so strong, you can't even bend it. You can't break it. It that has to be the strongest thing in the world. Iron. An iron bar. Well, you know what happens to iron, don't you? It rusts away. Even buildings that are built with the strongest iron will rust 
to pieces and have to be torn down. Maybe it's a rock. Yes, it also will deteriorate into fine sand. But what will never fail? What is stronger even than death is God and His love. And if you are not persuaded yet today of the necessity of Christ and His love, it is my desire to set forth the strength of that love and pray that the Holy Spirit will draw you to Him even in this day. For our text says, For love is as strong as death. Now I want to look at that with that very theme, love is as strong as death. And we can be persuaded of that in three ways. First, we can be persuaded by remembering our birth. Secondly, be persuaded by reflecting on the strength of love itself from the passage. And thirdly, to be persuaded by relying on God's family to strengthen, be strengthened in that love. In that persuasion of love. Love is as strong as death. We're persuaded, first of all, by remembering our birth. You say, well, that's kind of strange, Pastor, that you would say we are to remember this by remembering our birth. But let's look at this in the context. The context of this is a Shulamite woman, she's She's speaking about how she wants to grow in this love in chapter 8. Grow in this intimacy. There's something still lacking in this intimacy. It's not a perfect consummated relationship that she still has with her bridegroom. It's evident in the first few verses of, of chapter 8. And she's saying, Oh, that you would be like my brother who nursed at my mother's breast. If I would find you outside, I would kiss you just like uh, you would kiss your little brother. And, and yet she, she recognizes that their relationship is yet not yet fully consummated. It's not fully perfected. And she's recognizing that. And she, she wants more of this intimacy that she's been experiencing in, 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 in the past chapter, especially chapter 7. And we recognize something else when we come to verse 5. We recognize that uh, the question is coming up whether it's a question by one of the relatives or uh, the daughters of Jerusalem. We don't know exactly who's speaking here. But there's a question that's coming up. And this question is this. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? Well, who is this coming up from the wilderness? That's a good question. What we're to do, no matter who's speaking here, is we're called to ask and ask to look at the bride. And she's coming out of a wilderness, a place of dryness, a place of deadness, a place of unfruitfulness. But she's coming out of the wilderness to be fruitful, to be alive, and to be vibrant. She's going to leave all of that deadness and unfruitfulness behind. And she's coming up leaning on her beloved. She's trusting in him. She's familiar with him. She's finding safety in his arms and being able to rest in his bosom. And so here she comes up out of the wilderness, leaning in dependence and resting upon her 
beloved. And what do we hear as we eavesdrop into their conversation? We hear the bridegroom speaking of the bride, speaking to the bride, saying, I awakened you under the apple tree. There your mother brought you forth. There she who bore you brought you forth. And so as we eavesdrop on what what the bridegroom is saying to the bride, we recognize there that he's retracing their life together. He's saying, here, let's come. And she's coming with him out of the wilderness, leaning upon him, and he's saying, I awakened you under that apple tree. He's retracing their life together. He's saying, this is where I first wooed you unto myself. This is where I was first awakened. And I awakened that love that you have for me. Here is where I convicted you of sin and called you out of this wilderness to trust in me. Here, retrace your steps, your spiritual life. Go back to those days when Christ first became precious, when he became that chief among 10,000, when he became altogether lovely. And remember your first love, he's saying. Remember that sermon that you heard. Remember that communion season that you had. Remember that devotion that you so enjoyed. Remember that special fellowship of the saints that was so blessed to you. Remember God's nearness to you during affliction. Remember these times as you retrace your life, your spiritual journey with the Lord, to rekindle that love, that love that He has for you, that love that is strong. Because when you remember all of these things from your very birth, rebirth, you remember all of these things in your life, your spiritual journey, your wooed, your enamored with this love of Christ and what He's done for you. I think of a marriage. Isn't that so special in marriages when, when maybe it feels as if that love grows a little bit cold and you wonder if that love is, the feelings of it are going away. And to be able to rekindle that love and to know the real strength of that love. You go back and you remember that first day that you met. The first time you held hands. The first time you gave one another a kiss. You go back and you remember your wedding day. You remember those special occasions and those anniversaries and those dinners and the candlelight dinners, the times that you receive flowers or appreciation. And you remember the strength of that love. That's what Jesus is doing here with his bride, the church. He says he's taking her out of the wilderness where she's been wandering and doing all sorts of things that, that weren't even close to him, that were unfruitful. And now she's coming out and she's remembering those special seasons where she knew his presence and his love for her. And he retraces those steps, not only to our rebirth, even to our original birth, he, he calls us not only to think about our rebirth, but even our original birth, a birth of our mother. It's like he's t- 
taking us on that journey to show us all the things in life where you have these special occasions. And, and he's so interested in us, just like a good husband or wife would be, that when they come by the cottage and come by the home of your parents, that you remember that's where I was born and you, you share all of life together. And she, this is, a, this is like a family affair. And that's why even earlier in the chapter she's saying, you're, you're like, oh, that you were like my brother. Oh, I, wish, I wish we had that, that intimacy that a, that a family has. So you remember the whole of life, all of our life, under the providential care of God. And so we're persuaded by the strength of love, the strength of the love of God, who has provided for us throughout our life. And He calls us to return to that love, the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. But I think it even goes deeper than that. This love is not only spoken of of the love of Christ, but it's also spoken of the love that there is within the bride. The many who have become one. This love is also as strong as death. Because if we are to remember our new birth, then our relationship to one another in the church is that we are born into the family of God. And although the world might be against the church in a general way, and the challenges that seek to break up the unity of the family of God and the communion of the family of God and the bride of Christ, we need to recognize that we are born from above born into the family of God, and we need to be persuaded of the strength of this love. That this love is an unbreakable, committed union in the family of God. And so, as the Apostle says, love one another. Because this love is as strong as death. Or do you think someday that there will be various places in heaven for people who think different things? It's one bride, one family of God, one eternal home in the family of God. That love will even go past death for all eternity. We can be persuaded of the strength of love by remembering our birth. But secondly, I want to draw our attention to being persuaded by reflecting on the very strength of love itself. And especially the strength of Christ's love. In verse 6, we read the Shulamite here, the bride. She says, set me as a seal upon your heart as a seal upon your arm. And what she's asking for is this wax seal to show that she is possessed by her 
beloved by the bridegroom, that she belongs to him. Just as we saw this morning in chapter 7, she knows that she belongs to him and that's so precious to her. But she wants him to actually set that seal upon his heart and upon his arm. And what he does in doing so, he's setting a seal of his love in his heart saying, that love is unbreakable. It cannot be broken. I'm going to possess her and love her forever and ever. And not only inwardly does he do so, but he does so outwardly so everyone can see. He sets that seal on his arm that his bride is loved by him forever. It's like a, a husband or a wife putting a ring on their a wedding band on their finger, saying to the world, I'm married to another. I'm married to, to my wife. And hopefully that is also sealed in your heart as well as a husband or a wife that, that I'm married to my husband or to my wife. And so also, she's wanting the Lord Jesus Christ here to set her as a seal upon his heart and upon his arm. And the reason she gives for that is that love is as strong as death. She knows that when he does so, that that love is as strong as death. Nothing, nothing will ever separate her from the love of God in Christ Jesus her Lord. Nothing. Because she's persuaded by, by examining the strength of Christ's love. It's as strong as death. Isn't that even exhibited in Christ's very own life? And in his work. He gave his life for our sins. He loved us so much that he was willing to shed his own blood. That he was willing to die a cursed death on the tree. His body being broken for our sins. It was stronger than even being, being put to death. It was Stronger, his love is so jealous that, that it was like the grave. The jealousy is cruel as the grave. It says jealousy was even more powerful. He was so jealous, so jealous over his bride, so desirous of his bride that he was willing to go to the grave for her. Isn't that amazing? Love is as strong as death and jealousy for his people as cruel as the grave. I don't think you get anything stronger than death, do you? Who among us would dare to stand up today, right now, and say, I can defy death? Can any of us stand here and say, I'm not going to die even this week? Not a one of us. Every breath we receive is from God. One thing is certain. We live today and we will 
certainly die. There was a time to be born. There's a time to die. Nothing is as strong and powerful and certain as death. Except for love. Love is as strong as death. He goes on to say, its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. When you think about flames and the flame of fire and a, a, a very vehement flame, it's showing the intensity of, of passion, of commitment, of desire. And this love is like those flames. It's, and it has an unquenchable passion. The waters cannot even quench it. I don't care how big of a forest fire you have. You add enough water to it, it's going to fizzle out. But the love of Christ, you could dump the whole ocean of water. You could dump a whole world of water upon it. And it wouldn't fizzle out. It's an unquenchable love and passion. But it's not only strong and unquenchable, it's also invaluable. It goes on, she goes on to say, if a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Matter of fact, if you gave all the money and all of the riches of the world to buy love, it wouldn't be possible. It would be despised even. You can't buy love. Can, can, can you really just even put your mind around it? You really love someone. How much would you sell your spouse for? How much would you sell one of your children for? How much would you sell anyone for? Whom you really, truly love. You couldn't put a price tag on it, could you? There's no way you could do that. And so also, with love, it doesn't come with a price tag. It's invaluable. It's unquenchable. It's as strong as death. Have you ever really thought of love in this way? Have you thought of God's love in this way? That God the Father so loved His Son. He so loved Him that He gave His Son as a ransom for His people whom He loved. And the Son so loved His people that He was willing to give His life for His people. And the Holy Spirit so loves the people whom Christ purchased, that he's willing to live within them and walk with them and commune with them, even when they're backslidden, even when they're wandering in the wilderness, even when they have to lean on him, coming out of that dry and dusty 
dirty place where there is no fruit in their life. What love. A love that covers a multitude of sins. A love that's all-powerful. A love that will never fail. As we find in 1 Corinthians 13, we find a whole explanation of that love. Paul is saying, I could could speak in tongues. I could have gifts of prophecy. I could understand mysteries. I could have enough faith to move mountains. But if I don't have love, I don't have anything. Faith, it lays hold of. Hope, it lays hold of. But love is, is an open hand to disperse all the good that it has in it. And it can't be quenched. It's strong. It's invaluable. If I don't have love, I don't have any profit. I don't have anything. I'm nothing at all. Because love never fails, says Paul. And he says, he goes on in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, prophecies will fail. Tongues will fail. And they will cease. They will vanish away. But love will never fail. Christ comes to death itself. He comes to the grave itself. As He sets His face like a flint to Jerusalem to endure it, knowing He will not fail because of that love that He has for you, a sinner, to purchase you unto Himself. He comes to the flames of fire. The fire of the wrath of God as He endures our hell when He cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But all the water in the world couldn't quench that love as He endured our eternal hell. The value from the drops of His blood that run from His brow and run from His side and run from His feet are of inestimable value for those who are in Christ Jesus purchased by His blood and covered in His love. The banner over them is certainly love. And that love can never fail. Because that love is rooted in the commitment of an unchangeable God. That love is as strong as death. Absolutely certain. Our love, well, how do we define love? First of all, we generally define it by feelings. Our love doesn't match up to 1 Corinthians 13 either. A love that suffers long, a love that's kind, a love that does not envy, a love that does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, 
bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Do we have that kind of love? A love like Christ had. I will never fail. You see the strength of love. Are you persuaded of the strength of Christ's love? I recognize that in my own heart that that love is not fully perfected by any means. And I trust it's not for you either. And that's why we need to conclude with the third point. We need to be persuaded of the strength of love by relying on God's family to grow in that love. As we look at our text further, we find in verse 8 that we have a little sister and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she is spoken for? I'll stop here a moment and think about the bride leaning upon the bridegrooms as they're coming out of the wilderness. And she's relying on him and she's, she's growing in him. She's, she, she does have some maturity. We heard him praise her this morning about having uh, breasts that could care for and nurture others. But now as they're talking together, as they're conversing together, they recognize something, don't they? They say, we have a little sister and she has no breasts. She, she's not mature yet. But, but there's going to come a day when she's going to be spoken for. What are we going to do about our little sister? Well, I, I think the bridegroom responds here in verse 9 and says, if, if she is a wall, we will build upon her a battlement of silver. And if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. As we eavesdrop on this conversation, one thing is certain, no matter who's speaking here, is that there's a, there's a concern for this little sister. And there's a desire to protect this little sister. To have a battlement of silver and, and to enclose her with boards of cedar. And that's exactly, isn't it, what, what the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's family, seeks to do. Yes, we recognize that there are various levels of maturity within the Christian faith. There are those who are given to grow in this maturity to also encourage others and to cause others to grow in grace and in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 10, the bride is saying she's ready and willing to do so. She's ready and willing to partner with the bridegroom in caring for, in caring for her little sister. She says, I am a wall and my breasts like towers. Then I become in his eyes as one who found peace. And so she, she's confessing what Christ has praised her for. And she says, as I lean on you and go forth, I will seek to protect our little sister. And isn't that what happens in church families? As the church is given leadership to guide and to lead the congregation according to the word of God. There's good order in the church to do so. 
as the ministries of God's Word come to us and the Holy Spirit blesses them. It causes these little sisters and even middle-aged sisters and, and all the various levels in between. It causes them to grow in grace and in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's an instruction of the youth. There's a maturing of those who have just made confession of faith. And there's the priesthood of believers in the communion of saints throughout the church as one can encourage another even the more we find in Hebrews 10 as we see that day approaching. And so there's this protection in the family of God. And we need to rely on that protection in our lives. We aren't lone rangers out there in way of our spiritual life. We need the church. We need it for protection, but also for prosperity. Notice in verse 11 and 12, and again, these verses are very challenging to, to know exactly what they mean, but I think we can get the gist of it if we just keep it simple. In verse 11, Solomon has this vineyard, and he leases the vineyard to keepers, and everyone was to bring forth its fruit, a thousand silver coins, and, and the bride responds by saying, My own vineyard is before me. You, O Solomon, may have a thousand, and those who tend its fruit, two hundred. Well, what does this all mean? I think, I think the picture is, is speaking of this. That spiritual prosperity will come through good stewardship in God's vineyard. To take good and constant and diligent care of our vineyards. Remember earlier in the Song of Solomon, she lamented that her vineyard was unkept. And so there's this acknowledgement of reform here of reform to desire to keep her vineyard. Because this spiritual life and this love must flourish. And in order for this love to flourish in this vineyard, that vineyard must be well kept. She must root out the weeds of sin, the weeds of selfishness and self-centeredness and pride and envy and bitterness. She needs to root them out or love will come crashing down. There will be no strength. From love, But for love to be prosperous, that garden needs to be well kept for it to be flourishing. We need to rely again here on God's family for that prosperity. To keep our vineyard through the preaching of His Word, through instruction, through, through encouragement, one toward another but lastly I want to see this last little piece of dialogue between the bride and the bridegroom in the song of songs verse 13 you who dwell in the gardens the companions listen for your voice he's saying to the bride you, you, you're dwelling in the gardens you're working in the gardens and all your companions are listening for your voice. But he says, let me hear it. Let me hear it. I long to hear it. I want to continue this dialogue with you. Even though we come to the end of the Song of Solomon, I want to continue this dialogue with you, says the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me hear your voice. 
Let me hear your love toward me. Let me hear how I am altogether lovely, that I am the chief among 10,000. Let me hear your voice. He wants to continue to hear it. They recognize that there's this incompleteness yet in their relationship. There's this already, but not yet. There's coming a day when, when that love will be perfected and we will be with Him forever. We will see Him and be like Him and be with Him forever. But there's today. And as they're parting ways, as they're parting ways, He says, let me hear your voice. Yes, the world's going to hear your voice. Yes, your friends are going to hear your voice. Yes, your family's going to hear your voice. Yes, the fellow church members are going to hear your voice. But Jesus says, I want to hear your voice. Talk to Him. Pray to Him. Praise Him. And may your prayer be, as the Shulamite woman, as the bride, in verse 14, Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. Don't delay. Come again as soon as possible. They're parting ways, and so are we. We're leaving this place of fellowship after meditating on the love of Christ. We're leaving the book of Song of Solomon. Is it your prayer? Oh Lord Jesus, make haste. Come quickly. Because this love is not perfectly realized in my heart and life today. But I know that in eternity it will be perfected. And I know that love is stronger than death. And that my relationship needs to be strengthened by love. That love of Christ. Are you persuaded that you need such a love? Are you so persuaded that you can say with Paul in Romans 8, verse 35 through 39, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's really what Jesus wants to answer in this song. He wants to tell his bride, he wants to tell you and me as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ today that tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and peril and sword, none of these things will separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. Because we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. He goes on to say, For I am persuaded that neither life, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is a love that is stronger or as strong as death. Amen. Let's pray.
Oh Lord, we come to the end of the Song of Songs. And we recognize, O oh Lord, that it certainly is challenging to understand all of the phrases, but we see the movement of this song as one to convey to us your love for your bride and to witness to the whole world your love for your bride. May we as your people leave this place persuaded that your love is as strong as death. And it is absolutely certain that you are absolutely committed to your people. And may we look forward to a day when that love will be perfected in our hearts and in our lives and in our experiences when we meet you in glory. So make haste, O Lord. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And until that day, may, we hear your vo- may you hear our voice confessing that you are altogether lovely. For Jesus' sake, amen.